Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 343rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast with a direct line on helping Pelosi keep on top of all of her favorite specs and decks. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Derek the Dark Mage, at Oko Assassin on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello everyone, Derek here once again, looking forward to another great discussion on the cast this week. I want to, before we jump in, I want to remind listeners that the show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what is on our agenda this week? Well, James, we have our usual four segments. First, we're going to kick things off with the MTGO Weekend Review. After that, we're going to talk through some of the top movers of the week and chat about why we think these cards saw significant gains. After that, we're on to segment three, which is the Cards to Watch, where we'll share the key cards that we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, to wrap things up, segment four, which is our topic of the week, which this week will be discussing the final Infinity previews. So with that out of the way... Let's jump into our MTGO weekend review. All right, kicking things off with the modern challenge from this past Saturday, September 24th, 2022. First place was Yogmoth Combo, a fairly consistent performer that has been posted up in probably tier 1.5, I would imagine, for modern for the better part of the year. Uh, flagging here that they're running four copies of Eldritch Evolution, which has, uh, is a card that has come and gone in that list over time. Uh, third place was a rare appearance by Scapeshift. Hammer Time in fourth place. Creativity Combo in fifth and sixth, continuing to justify its top tier inclusion in the format. And then Blue Red Murktide in eighth. This lets us double back to the two most interesting decks in this top eight. Second place, Merfolk, making an appearance and staking a claim on a renewed vigor in the modern format. Of course, they're running four Civilin of Sea and Sky at a Modern Horizons 2 last summer. Definitely a card to keep your eye on if this uh, deck keeps charging. And then the thing that is uh, helping this deck pivot as it did for Goblins in the format is the presence of the new two-mana uh, Creature Lord, in this case Vodalian Hexcatcher, one in a blue for a 1-1 one, one Flash Merfolk Wizard. Other Merfolk you control get plus one plus one, and you can sack a Merfolk to counter-target non-creature spell unless its controller pays one. I've been on the receiving end of this a couple of times versus sweepers where they flash this in, sack their worst Merfolk, and stop a Wrath from going off that usually wins them the game. The thing about these tribal decks in both Pioneer and Modern, also Historic on Arena, is that on turn three or four, you basically need to kill two or three creatures at the same time, or they're going to overwhelm you. And with Hexcatcher being able to play the aggro control role a little bit more effectively than Merfolk has been able to in the past, and in the Goblin deck, Runvolt Hordemaster, allowing them to replace cards that you get rid of um, by exiling them and setting up additional draws or and or looks at cards... The decks have definitely been kicked up a notch. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, 
I believe this is the first time we've seen Merfolk top eight the modern challenge, but we've also seen it top eight the legacy challenge as well. So clearly some staying power for this deck. The thing that I always draw my eyes to is what is the common element between all of these tribal decks. And here, of course, it's Aether Vial and Cavern of Souls, both of which were reprinted uh, recently in Modern Masters 2022. And uh, double double masters, double masters there we go to a double master twenty twenty two and Aether Vial had very sweet art and so that was something I was looking at today actually and the price is down to pretty reasonable levels considering what it, it used to be I think the non foils at like sixteen foils around twenty two so that's something I'm definitely keeping an eye on uh, subtlety is also in this list even though it's not a merfolk. Uh, and that's probably just to slow down um, some of the other decks, get you that one extra turn to blow them out of the game uh, with three copies here. So that's that's a significant investment, uh, but they're pitching pretty much everything in the deck to it. So I'm sure it does some work. The other thing that's interesting about Merfolk is this time next year, we're going back to Ixalan, which is a Merfolk plane. So I would imagine green, uh, blue Merfolk and Pioneer is going to get a boost again once we get about 12 months down the road yeah i would think so looking through the list a lot of it ports over but not all so you still have a few lords you lose svendalin you lose some of the lords lord of atlantis i don't believe is legal and pioneer don't think so yeah so and you lose lose aether vial of course which is is a big deal but but they do but just by being by token of being in green they get access to the blue green lord that's true that's true and, and that goes for all of the the tribes that we've been seeing emerge recently as well. There'll be there'll be probably improvements for several of the others, I would think, too. For instance, in, in modern, Goblins often runs black as a splash to get access to a couple of different cards, uh, including the... Ah, yes, there it is. Munitions Expert. That's the 1-1 one, one flash, black and red goblin. Whenever munitions expert enters the battlefield, you may have it deal damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to the number of goblins you control. Can be good for getting rid of uh, a pesky teferi or wandering emperor, uh, maybe a renin six, and can also uh, get rid of the, an opposing blocker that would otherwise slow down your team. Uh, and I think they have Bogart Harbinger that is also a factor when they, they dip into black. Now... The funny thing about Goblins is that's not even the most interesting deck, not by a long mile in this top eight. In seventh place, we had Jeskai Breach. This deck has elements that we have seen time and again, but this is a fresh reconfiguration of a bunch of great cards. Two Teferi Time Raveler, four Emery Lurker of the Lock, three Ledger Shredder, four Ragavan Nimble Pilferer, a Thassa's Oracle, four Expressive Iteration, a Lightning Bolt, four Unholy Heat, one Ether Spellbomb, three Grinding Station, four Mishra's Bauble, three Mox Amber, and a Springleaf Drum, uh, alongside four Underworld Breach. So the deal here is you fire off a bunch of relevant card selection or uh, targeted removal spells and try to drop a whole bunch of things in the yard, and you use your Grinding Station to try to mill out the opposing player or set up your own yard. You've got Emery to uh, facilitate recursion, and you've got both Ledger Shredder and Ragavan either filling the yard or providing uh, threat potential to Fairy shutting down interaction on your turn and a breach uh, in the mid-game allowing you to go off. Yes, and 
the Mox Amber, pretty potent here. You have the four Emery, four Regaban, so almost always having a turn one play into a Mox Amber, having acceleration similar to what we saw with Mox Opal back in the day before that got banned. So that is one of the key cards of this deck. And Mox Amber, yeah, that one's up to almost $60 itself. So that was, I saw that one today. Pretty impressive. Three Ledger Shredder. Uh, that is probably doing a lot of work here, making sure to filter your draws. But one of the, the hard things about these decks is if you're not going off, you're losing. And so I'm sure between all of the cheap Mitrobobble type effects, single mana, two mana, you're able to just churn through your deck, hit exactly what you need to to go off. And that is the ball game. In the sideboard, after, after uh, you, you, you know, the opponent's prepared, you have two Spell Pierce and three Mystical Dispute, plus an extra uh, Teferi Time Raveler to get to three to protect your combo, plus some other utility cards. So you definitely have enough to, you know, all you need is probably to get through one, maybe two counter spells to get off the second round. Did well here. And if you're milling yourself out, you're you're just building to thousands exactly. Oracle wins yep. right here. Yeah. Very cool deck, so something to keep your eye on. Over in the Pioneer Challenge on September 25th, uh, we're looking at a pretty black-red dominated top eight. It was in first, fourth, sixth, seventh, and eighth on the back of three or four copies of Fable of the Mirror Breaker and three or four copies of Liliana of the Veil. Pretty obvious that Lily has found her new home over there in Pioneer. And of course, she's doing major work in Standard as well at the same time. Uh, I noticed while I was filling out a buy list last week that Dreadbore has become quite the expensive card on the back of this deck. Interesting. What's it at? I haven't seen that pop up on the uh, radar. I think that Dreadbore, uh, I think it's a single printing, if I'm not mistaken, other than the Secret Layer right. version. And it showed up in Ravnica Allegiance Guild Kits and Arch Enemy Nickel Bolas. And those copies are between 7 and 8 uh, return to Ravnica copies are hovering just under $8, and the Secret Layer version's at 19 Ooh. And that started, looks like a year ago, Secret Layer was 780 So that is quite the climb. Very solid. And, and a card that never showed up on this cast, because frankly, right. Dreadboard just did, did not seem like premium removal, but it just so happens that it's a sweet spot in in Pioneer, especially now that all the black-red mirrors you're going to be facing opposing <clears throat> lilies, and sometimes you want them, maybe you don't, depending on the configuration of your hand versus theirs and the board state. So Dreadboard just gives a ton of flexibility. Well, and honestly, there's not a lot of competition at the two-drop spot in this deck. There's a significant number of good one-drops or Thoughtseize type of effects, and three mana, we, you know, between Lily and Gravedigger and a few others, but that that two manas is a little tough. You got Tenacious Underdog, Croxa just throwing the yard, but you probably want to be doing that to Liliana rather than playing it itself. And then the Blood Tithe Harvester. Uh, but none of those are, are fantastic on their own. Blood Tithe Harvester is great once you have a Fable Mirror Breaker in play. You can keep copying it and it goes off. But on its own, it's mediocre. Uh, I will say I looked up, there were 17 different decks with four fable of the mirror breaker in the top 32 so just over 50 percent penetration there that continues that that's a problem card is very 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 good pretty much every step of the way uh the front side of it does what it's supposed to be doing in mid-range decks and then if you let it get to the back side you're probably going to get buried shortly Another card that we've been seeing uh, see play recently as a counter to the mono green deck 
is Lifebane Zombie. I didn't see this see this coming back anytime, but this is a three three mana, three one with intimidate. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand, and you choose a green or white creature card and exile it. And so you hit up the green matchup, you're able to take their best threat and uh, have something they can't really block well. It, you know, it works out pretty good. You said it only t- targets creatures out of the hand? Uh, yeah, green, white creatures, correct. Gotcha. I was wondering whether it could hit a Teferi uh, who slows the sunset in the green deck. Mm, sure. Doesn't sound doesn't seem like nope. it. Nope. So wrapping up this challenge, you had a blue-white control list in third, very standard configuration there. And then Abzan Greasefang, also running now three copies of Eldritch Evolution. And I saw a bunch of the pilots for the stack talking on Twitter uh, about how it was ratcheting the quality of the deck's uh, game plan uh, up a notch to include Evolution because it allows them to swap one of their early drops that are basically just there to connive and get things into the yard and turn it into something that actually matters. So you can get rid of that Rafine's informant and go get your Grease Fang, for instance, which is exactly what this deck wants to do, is get away from its mediocre two-drop into its three-drop. We've talked about that that two-drop before as being something that's likely to be replaced down the road once there's a better option. Yeah, I'm, su- I'm a little surprised there's not more of a toolkit type of setup here where um, right now it looks like they're only going for Grease Fang. Greasefinger bust. There's no one ofs that they could maybe hit off of the Elrich if they needed to. Something to maybe like a uh, something that comes into play to destroy enchantments or things like that. Uh, which I, I guess in the sideboard they they you can pull into a Knight of Autumn, so that is giving you that effect, but not until after after your first game. So they're just trying to execute their game plan, move forward game one, and then have one little answer in the sideboard. But I, I could see that changing a little bit, but. It's surprising to see Liliana only have one copy in the stack. Uh, clearly, it's been dominant in other ways, but here, Greasefang was good enough, apparently, without it. I mean, it's really nice to... Of course, all they want to do is get the equip, the uh, vehicle in the yard so that Greasefang can bring it back. So, Lily shredding your opponent's hand while it sets up your primary game plan is certainly a bonus. Now, this next deck that finished second, and easily the most notable in this top eight is a deck I've faced many times uh, on Historic, but haven't seen it in Pioneer Top 8s in recent memory. This is a green-red aggro deck that leans on Burning Tree Emissary and its availability in Pioneer to set up very explosive turn twos. They've got Kerry Zev Skyship Raider that can put Ragavan tokens in play, Legion Loyalist Monastery Swift Spear. They're using a full four Phoenix Chick out of Dominaria United. Uh, an aggro card that was on some people's radar in our, in our Discord for sure. Four Reckless Bushwalker, two Soulscar Mage, two Yavamaya Iconoclast, which has been fantastic in Dominaria United Draft. Um, so I'm not super surprised to see it here as a two-drop that can be kicked to show up as a 4-3 Trample Haste for three. Two Bone Crusher Giant, four Atarka's Command, Terror of Standard five years ago, back to wreak havoc in Pioneer. Four Play With Fire, and four Kumano Faces Kakazan, which is a foil I think I haven't looked at recently, but I keep thinking that I should look up the price and check out the trajectory because this thing does a lot of work in these style of decks by setting up, doing a little bit of damage, then setting up the next creature to be bigger, and then coming in as a haste creature itself and forcing mid-range and control builds to use multiple points of removal to deal with it. This is uh, the budget deck 
that you see over and over again in different iterations. But yeah, I have not seen it uh, really in Pioneer yet. And looking through, I'm looking at the Magic Online history, and this is actually the first time it's been in a top 32 of a challenge. Uh, but there's actually two in this top 32, on 10th place as well, so in the exact same list. So I wonder if a pilot's running this, somebody had to have known it was decent, maybe it was just in part of the 5.0 dump, uh, but there's two identical versions in this, so it's maybe becoming known. I, I love seeing a Tarkus Command. That card is very good, but it's never had a home really in the Pioneer format. Uh, and re- and re- Reckless Bushwhacker, you know, if you've never lost to it, that card is infuriating. You think you've stabilized, or you think you're going to be okay. You just say, I need one more turn, and you, they lay down a Bushwhacker for two with haste, and giving your team a whole boost, and you usually play one other thing, and all of a sudden it's game over. So this thing is all in, uh, all in aggro, but clearly it's working here. I, I have swept this deck with temporary lockdown on turn three multiple times, only to have them put me to four life the next turn and set me up to just not have space to prevent the final two or three points of damage. I believe it. I believe it. So this Yabamaya Iconclast, I've never seen this before. Iconoclast, Iconoclast. yeah. Iconoclast. Let's see. Yeah, that's the that's that card has done a lot of work in Dominaria United okay. uh, draft. Uh, the other Dominaria card they're running here out of the sideboard is two copies of Squee Dubious Monarch, which basically gives them additional Den of the Bugbear action. Also, both cards that are <laughs> that do work in my Gearson uh, 40k Commander deck that we tested all weekend. Uh, that one's looking very fun as well. All right, moving on over to Top Paper Movers. Relatively shallow pool of notable cards this week compared to recent weeks. We got Damping Damping Field out of Antiquities going $20 to $30. That's going to be Brothers War hype driving that. People figuring they'll lay hands on scarce Artifacts Matters cards and try to ride the wave. We've got Oko's selection from two weeks ago uncast, Lathro Blade of the Elves. Foils going $250 to $4. That's 60% gains and pushing putting the card well on its way to hitting Oko's targets. Uh, of course, that's been a top 10 commander for the better part of the year. We've got Scion of Draco, which is doing significant amounts of work in modern uh, in the modern format recently. Regular copies going from five to nine dollars, eighty percent gains. So if you've stacked up MH2 uh, crack jobs from CBs or you've been buying specs uh, along the way, this might be a rele- relevant exit for Dra- Scion of Draco. I'm not convinced that this card has a permanent home in modern, so I wouldn't want to be stuck holding fancy versions if there's a good out on them now. Wedding announcement out of Vow, five to nine dollars on the back standard and pioneer play. That's just regular copies up another eighty percent this week. Time shifted version of Nickel Bolas foils going from twenty five to fifty, hundred percent gains. I've I've noticed a, a bunch of time shifted foils have been under pressure, and that's part of that whole uh, process that you and I have alluded to on cast before, where there just seems to be certain vendors that are going after the older foils, working through set by set. Right. Uh, what about this next one? All right, so next up we have Pyroblast, and here it is uh, the EMA foil version going from 30 to 60, and really this is just a very, very low supply. There's only a single copy on TCG Player at $50, uh, but it is in a ton of EDH rec decks, 67,000. Of course, it's also played in Legacy, where they do like to get uh, solid foils, uh, and other versions are moving up as well. So Pyroblast, uh, also seen play in Popper, which... Who knows if it's seen an impact here, but definitely notable. 
so that one is not surprising, but uh, I, I bet you we'll see more of that going forward. Next up, we see Biorhythm from Onslaught going and Foil going from 19 to 45. And here it's really about speculation of an unbanned and EDH uh, really has to be driving that because otherwise it, it is banned and doesn't really see play elsewhere. So otherwise it is just sitting around in binders waiting to do some good. Uh, and another copy of Cyanide Draco on the list here, this time the Foil version going from 5 to 13 for a 160% gain. Similar, similar logic as the other. We've also got Brave the Elements out of M14. Foil's going $1.50 to $4. That's going to be the Pioneer Mono White Humans build that's driving that. We've got Wedding Announcement Foils. This is the Silver Screen Foils from Double Feature. So I guess it's not Vow, it's DF. Um, going 10 to 34 so that's 240% gains. I'm finding it hard to believe that anybody's buying Double Feature Silver Screen Foils of Wedding Announcement to play in their Standard or Pioneer decks, but happy to have somebody prove me wrong. Yeah, it's the white card. The white cards and the black cards look great. So maybe if it was any other color, I'd say probably not. But uh, they look pretty good. Coalition Victory was your speculative pick on potential EDH unbanning. And indeed, the foil surged from 7 to $30. So good job, Oko. But I would warn people that anytime there's a uh, content-driven spec spike like this, they do tend to fade pretty quickly if the market doesn't have reason to be absorbing the copies. So I would imagine that pro traders or anybody else that was listening that went after these is probably going to be undercutting each other on a on the way back down to a lower plateau. Uh, those kind of situations you definitely want to get out while the getting is good. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, until it gets unbanned. It's right now just a supply side crunch that's leading to the spike. It's the kind of thing where if I had bought copies on your say so, which I didn't, but had I say around ten and was that could exit near 20 i would gladly do that and then look to re-enter further down the road when people have forgotten about this card again and then maybe it gets unbanned next spring or something and there's a, a fresh flurry of activity yeah people went in pretty deep apparently because even the light play copies which usually you can see those hold back in price while the near mints get cleared out are up to about 30 dollars uh for the time shifted so got got a pretty good bump Biggest winner of the week is Underworld Coinsmith out of uh, Journey into Nyx. Foils went $2 to $10 on the back of play in the new Zur Eternal Schemer decks. And it does see play in older Zur decks. Daxos the Returned, Gan Arcanum Weaver, and Killian Ink Duelist all make use of the card in EDH as well. It's uh, a handy little life drainer where whenever it or another enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. And then for white and a black, you can pay a life and each opponent loses one life. Well, alrighty. All right. That one's interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed. Speaking speaking of, is that an uncommon from that it set? It is an uncommon. Yeah, that's a, that really must pique your interest. So moving over to top Magic Online movers of the week, we've got Fable of the Mirror Breaker out of uh, Neon Dynasty, 48 to 62 ticks, huh? It is. Again, it is everywhere. It is in standard. Actually, I don't know if it's standard. I haven't been paying enough attention. I assume it's in standard. But it is, like I said, in half of the decks in Pioneer right now, it's in a solid portion of the modern decks, and it is really in a, a very high number of legacy decks as well. So it is just everywhere. And the price reflects it. Uh, out of Redemption Rare at $62 is nothing to joke about. Off the cuff, do you know what the low on this was, like opening week? Uh, the buck less, probably. <laughs> it, it was, yeah. 
it wasn't even plagued, right? When did you, when did you get off the train? Uh, I got off so prior to the end of Redemption. So I think I exited at forty something, and then I shorted it from forty to thirty five. And I, it, you could tell it was getting some resistance, even though it was off Redemption. So I got out, and it's been going up ever since. Really, very nice. Archon of Cruelty out of MH2, 18 ticks to 25. Modern Creativity decks make use of the card all the time, hence the 40% gains there. We've got Hydroblast. This is the, um, not Mythic Edition, it's... This is a Master's Edition, which is a Magic Online-only type of card. Right. It's going 7 to 10, 50, 50% gains on the back of it, countering Minsk desk decks in Legacy. Usually you see a lot more Pyroblast in that format. Hydroblast, not so popular. But Minsk being a green-red card means you need access to quick handling. Eldritch Evolution leads the charge here on Magic Online. 30 cents to $1.50 on the back of that uh, Pioneer Greasefang deck making use of it. 400% gains there. Going going back to Hydroblast, I want to give one example of how the Magic Online economy is much different than paper. So Minsk and Boo was up to 100 tickets this weekend because there was a big legacy tournament online. So it pumped up, got to 100, started to slide back uh, because it's been doing pretty well. And then they released out of nowhere random treasure chest changes. So this is the exclusive way Minskin Boot comes into the magic online economy. And they all of a sudden out of nowhere basically doubled the drop rate to uh, a pretty excessive amount. And so a card that was $100 on Sunday is now a day later $60. Uh, for a massive loss, uh, which many of us in the Pro Trader Discord shorted for a decent profit already. So it's one of those things where Magic Online is, is a different beast. you got to really be on top of it. Wild, wild stuff. So we, the Eldritch Evolution being mentioned multiple times up top has me looking at it again as a spec. I originally called this on cast in November of 2020 when it was $11 to go to about 26 and we're basically there it's in the mid 20s with very uh low supply left just eight listings on tcg player near mint no major walls so it got me looking over in europe at foil copies that are still available in the 17 18 19 dollar range of course the exchange rate is just obscenely good between uh the two regions right now and you might also find you know foil copies of this sitting around at your local lgs if they haven't been repriced recently um, this is a card that does a lot of work in Grease Fang. It's in tens of thousands of decks. I think it's about 45,000 on EDH Rec. And they have reprinted it in ancillary products here and there as a non-foil, but have never reprinted the card in foil. Kind of thing that could easily show up in a secret layer, but whether that's this year or three years from now is anybody's guess there's also no major reprint product planned for 2023 that we know about and i'm having a hard time believing that even if they do renamed cards similar to what they did in ikoria in the lord of the rings set i don't see eldritch evolution being a big priority there yeah this wasn't seen play really until about a year ago obviously some fringe things here like uh the combo with Alsaurus Shepherd, Alsaurus Rider, whatever the seven mana uh, free creature. Rider, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, you know, that, but that was fringe. Uh, this is the first time it's really been solid ever since they've been able to combo off in the new Yogmoth builds. And that's really only been within the last year. And this 
newest deck is you know only within the last couple weeks so i don't i don't see why this would be on their radar the the non-foils are now getting expensive up to about ten dollars and you know that wasn't the case until recently either so i don't see it being a strong reprint target for any reason and on top of that the fact that the non-foils are now closing it on ten dollars you know it really means the foils being at 18 are pretty much a bargain because it's a pretty old card at this point so i yeah i mean it seems pretty easy especially if you're getting in the eu ck buy list is about 14 dollars cash so not one for one backing but pretty close so it seems like an easy one where you know low low floor high ceiling this wasn't the only card that i pulled out of my bad specs box today that ended up on this list the other one is the uh, uh well it's not the version i pulled out but then it got me looking at what other versions existed. We talked about the uh, Eternal Masters Pyroblast foils getting pricey. And I had a stack of those from a few years back that I paid low 30s for that are finally looking like they're going to turn the corner. And the only other fancy foil version of Pyroblast is a very nice looking version from the Chandra's uh, Spellbook uh, and Silvery product. And those can be had in the EU if you're you know filling up your cart with Eldritch Evolution or whatever. For about $10, and they're already about closer to the mid-teens in North America. And once people realize that the EMA foils are down to just one listing at 50 bucks on TCG Player, there's a very good chance that those Chandra's foils are going to get snapped off in the 15 to 20 range, and your $10 copies from Europe will end up at 20 to 25 This is in 67,000 decks on EDH Rec, so it's not just a legacy card or a cube card. Um, There's significant EDH support. It's only had two foils ever, and again, those EMA foils are gone, so Chandra's is probably next. So when is the next reprint of this one? That's that's my question. Uh... Again, Secret Layer? I mean, they're not going to print Pyroblast into Modern, so it's not going to be in the Lord of the Rings set. Right. And... There's, it's not going to show up in a standard set. That's never going to happen. What about the Dominaria set? Is this fall into Dominaria for the reprint set in January? That's a decent chance. Yeah. Because this this would qualify as something they could print there. It, it needs the reprint. It needs it. It's good EV as an uncommon. It feels like it might be included there. Yeah, so I would want to be in and out on this in the next six months, but that doesn't seem tough given you're getting some arbitrage value out of Europe and looking to flip the Chandras into like late fall, early winter. Um, and if it dodges the Dominaria United thing, well, you know, watch out because there's nothing else that year other than a secret layer where it seems to be even remotely likely to see print. So if you're running this in your own deck, which would you choose? Chandra or Eternal Masters? Just curious of your style. The Chandra's is, is much nicer. The The only issue with the Chandra's is the, the foils that come out of those spell books are curly. So it would depend on the humidity and time of year. Like in the summer, I can run whatever I want. Nothing curls here in the summer because we're on the sandwich between two lakes. So it's super humid. But in the middle of winter, when everything starts curling, you know, CMR foils and spell book foils are going to be less appealing. Of course, I'm mostly playing webcam EDH these days where nobody is deck checking the curliness of your cards. <laughs> I, so in, in a world where competitive magic is being played less and less in front of judges, I'm not even sure curling matters all that much anymore. Yeah, I, I'm going to cheat and say I don't play foils, so I would be getting the old border Ice Age, but... I, I have some of those as well. They are also appealing because there's definitely some nostalgia value there. But you also have options on the Chandra foils 
uh, or sorry, the Chandra non-foil version. And the art really is spectacular, like easily the best pyroblast art that exists. Yeah, I, I did well on the signature spellbook Gideon, um, specifically in Rest in Peace, was able to get those for eight, nine dollars when they hit lows. I couldn't believe I was selling some of those foil versions up towards 20 lately. Um, granted, that was TCG Direct, so it might have had a premium, but some of these are starting to rise. Yep, those were in one of our singles group buys at 1.2 as some kind of like random add-on, and I think people did well on them. So anyway, Eldritch Evolution, Pyroblast, both looking good. I pulled my EMA foils out, got to get those up and listed for sale, and hopefully we'll catch a 50 to $60 price tag on those. All right, well, my first pick is Commander's Plate, specifically the Commander Legends Extended Art Foil Edition, going from uh, really the TCG price is about $46, but right now uh, on some of the vendors like Card Kingdom, they're still only $40, which is surprising that the larger vendor is uh, costing less. So I'm going to go from 40 to 60 uh, so really an incremental gain. And I think this will happen after the new Secret Layer deck, the Flip It, uh, focused secret layer deck comes out and it has a reprint of the basic version and i think there's going to be enough people that want to get into the more uh the more fancy low supply extended art to push that price up because right now there's only uh, a little over a dozen decent copies on tcg player right now so it wouldn't take a huge push to to get this up and if you look at the best sellers of commander legends this is one of them it isn't twenty thousand edh rec decks uh it does its thing better than most for kind of one or two color decks uh and i think it's not going to be a high priority for future reprints because it's already seen one uh in the commander deck yeah commander's plate was one of the mythics from commander legends that was flagged early on uh, by pro traders as being a likely spec and i'm sure it was a spec on cast uh sometime in the first four months after its release i don't know if it has uh hit the target yet i'd have to double check on that but given that we're down to just 16 listings for near mint foil extended arts on and only about half of them are under 50 dollars your call for these to go 40 to 60 seems very likely to come true it's kind of card where they're going to give us reprints as you said in commander deck products but they will be non-foil and they'll do totally get around to giving us a fancy version of this at some point i guess that the quickest threat would be if there is a blueprint masterpiece series of artifacts that's going to be in the brothers war this would have some chance of catching a fancy reprint in the near future so if people are worried about that and believe that that is likely to be the case then you might want to hold off um but for those that cracked copies of this uh, early on, I mean, you could get out of some copies now into a rising market and probably be in pretty good shape. If you dodge the reprint near the Brothers War, then you're probably safe for quite some time. And it's a card that has very broad applicability. It's For those that don't remember, it's a one casting cost equipment. Equipped creature gets plus three, plus three, and has protection from each color that's not in your commander's color identity. For three, you can equip a commander, and for five, you can equip anything. I tend to reach for Swiftfoot Boots and Lightning Greaves before I reach for Commander's Plate, but other people have found plenty of reason to uh, care about this, especially in builds where, because this gives protection from each color that's not in your commander's color identity, it is especially good in one and two color commanders. Right. And you know what else it's good with? Urza's Saga. <laughs> yep. 
because you can go get it as a one drop. Yeah, that's very true. Um, we were playing against uh, the blue legend from Neon Dynasty that lets you return art artifacts and enchantments from your graveyard to play if you bounce a land to your hand. Oh, her name escapes me. Uh, but anyway, they they were making use of this for sure. I think this is a good one. I think you're likely to get there. The blueprints thing is the only threat I can think of. So, and on on the blueprints, it sounds like we might get previews late later this week on a stream on Thursday. Yeah. So, yeah, we we talked about last week how Brothers War previews were probably starting in a couple of weeks, but apparently. <laughs> There's going to be some early stuff this week. That's just an insane pace. We don't even have the 40k decks in the market yet. Infinity sell-through hasn't finished yet. And we're already on to this. Like, just slow it down, Wizards. <laughs> I agree. All right, what's your next right. pick, James? Uh, I'm looking at a couple of secret layer cards that have had time to mature and are looking pretty good. We've got new Blasphemous Act Surge Foils coming out of those 40k decks that are going to provide some... Uh, some competition for the secret layer version but the secret layer version is quite clearly the best art and the coolest version ever printed of the card it's the super um gauche like 70s horror exploitation style po movie poster and the foils got down uh, at one point as low as 12 dollars or so and currently are going for closer to uh, I said 17 here. That looks about right. And we're, we're at 35 listings near mint. There are some major walls because it's a secret layer product. So somebody who anybody who went deep can generate a wall. Um, there's MTG Rares with 45 copies listed at 1760. There's Project Justice at 10 copies and a few others like that. But the bottom line is Blasphemous Act is a very unlikely to be displaced sweeper because typically the play pattern in Commander is that it sweeps the board for one mana, which is hard to beat. Um, when you're playing with four people, it's not hard to get up to 12 creatures to reduce the casting cost by 12. And it goes into pretty much every red deck I've ever built. Everybody else seems to run it as well. It's reflected in 230,000 reported decks on EDH Rec, which probably means that there's more than a million copies in play uh in any given month somewhere around the world and yes there are some walls left to, to crumble here but secret layers don't get reprints at least not yet i would imagine that we will get some kind of fancy magic card like booster fun masters in the next three to five years that seems like just so such easy money for wizards um but that's probably a ways off they're fooling around with external licensing agreements for the time being so 35 listing, $17. I'm going to call this 17 to 35 in a year and be very surprised if we don't hit that target. So I looked up what the foil extended arts from Commander Legends cost because those are fine, but not great. They're not really unique. And those are $16, $17. And so to have this much more superior, much more unique copy, be only a couple bucks more seems kind of criminal, honestly. And these, I assume, don't curl as bad as Commander Legends because literally nothing curls as bad as Commander Legends. So to have those be a parody right now is just because one has more supply in the short term, uh, but this is one of the top played sweepers, as you said, in all of EDH. And so these copies will drain, and when they do, if you look at um, some of the lower lower uh, supply secret layer foils, 
we've been able to see the prices go through the roof. And so it's not like one of those things where secret layers um, can't get to those levels. The supply is shallow enough, even on these more well-printed ones, because people knew this would be a hit. Uh, they're still shallow enough to to hit high targets. And so I agree. I think, uh, what did you have for a target? Let me pull it up here. So going to 35, I mean, it seems very reasonable. Um, anything over 35, 40, I think you're going to hit just some some barriers to um, people not wanting to spend that much. But I've been getting that for a number of the secret layer foils that I never thought I would. And so this is one of those cards that everyone plays, everyone knows uh, it should command a premium for sure. The one thing to think about with this one is that it's going to get a fancy reprint like once a year or more. You know, we're getting the Surge foils now. We had the Commander Legends foil extended arts not so long ago. It also got a secret layer in that interim. So in the, in the space of two years, you had three competitive fancy versions. I would imagine that that trend will continue. And that's also true of this next card on my list. I'm also looking at Swords to Plowshares, the foil etched version out of the MSCHF uh time secret layer drop that was in our hands earlier this year these are currently sitting at about 18 dollars market price and there's 45 listings left again it's a secret layer so there are some walls although i don't see any gigantic walls till you get to 30 dollars or so uh are you dark mage game i, I am <laughs> so you've got 60 copies you're sitting on at 30 bucks um and I would imagine that's a pretty safe place to sit because it's going to get there given any amount of time. There are tons of premium versions of Source to Plowshares, just like there is for Path to Exile, but this is an especially nice one, and it's the one I tend to reach for uh, for my decks, and if I don't have copies available, I'd probably default to the uh, Japanese <clears throat> alt art from the uh, Strixhaven Mystical Archives, but this is... Very striking, very unique. It's not art they can probably ever reprint due to the specificity of their licensing agreement with external company that worked with them on this drop. And that's a very safe place to be um, where there's just no additional copies of this likely to show up anytime soon. Even if there was some kind of booster fund masters down the road, these these drops and the 40k drops and stuff are going to be tough to extend licensing on. They've got to go back and renegotiate all that if it wasn't covered in the original agreement. So feel even better about these than I would about a normal premium. And I'm calling these to go 18 to 40 over the course of about 12 months or so. 400,000 decks use it in EDH Rec. It's also played in Legacy. It's a cube card. The best version of this card after maybe the beta version, I would think. And it got as low as 13 and it's done nothing but go up since. So what place, I'm looking at it right now, in your head, is what place in top cards for the past two years is 400,000? What number? Number one's obviously Soul Ring. And then Arcane Signet closely behind, I would imagine. Correct. Um, I would guess Swords of Plowshares is top five white cards and top 20 on EDH, right? It is number three, immediately behind well, Arcane Signet. Well, yeah. then there you go. <laughs> And this, and I said two, yeah, I said 400 decks. It's 403,000 at this point because people have started adding their 40K. It's in 50, 58% of all white decks, and really it should probably be in 100%. People just forget to put it in or don't have a copy available. So I, I agree with your 
thought process. I don't think it goes down ever because these weren't that widely available. They look great. I think it's going to be a slow grind to 40. So, you know, well, I think it'll get there because, I mean, it already has enough competition, right? There's tons of versions of Swords Plowshares. If those different versions were going to keep the price tamp down, it would have done it already. So that's not my concern. My concern is whether or not you could get higher velocity elsewhere. Um, and this is coming from somebody that tends to pick things that take a little bit longer. So I, I like it in as, as an armchair investor, but um, for those that want to be very active and you know, really ready to move things every three to six months. I think this is probably not it. It's probably more like a longer time horizon. What do you have on here? 12 months. I'd, I'd say 12 is probably a little aggressive, maybe 18 to 24 months in my opinion. But I think that the, the trajectory is correct. Because the print run in the MCSCHFs were lower than a regular secret layer, I don't think it's going to take that long. The, yeah. the walls just aren't that big. There, there's you and Pop and a few others. Um, it, it, but, it's mischief too, by the way, right? Isn't that sure? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah. you pronounce pronounced mischief yeah, correct. Yeah. So the thing about this card is, like with Blasphemous Sack, it catches frequent fancy reprints. It's been in no less than three secret layers. It was there's two different versions out of the Mystical Archives. It's got a From the Vault twenty version. People might be into an old Ice Age version. Of course, there are Alpha and Beta versions. There's an F and M promo that goes for three hundred and sixty market price. No shortage of fancy swords of plowshares. So there is competition on the card, um, as with the Blasphemous Act. But I like the dynamics. I like the very broad play pattern. And I think that the Mischief cards are popular enough that it's going to do very well by people. So let me ask you, give you another card that has less of a demand profile. Grim Tutor, uh, which is also in the Mischief Drop. It is about 20 bucks. Looks pretty good, uh, but there are... You know, it's Grim Tutor. It's not one of the best tutors out there. And there's another copy um, from a secret layer, Crack the Vault, coming uh, that looks pretty decent as well. What do you do with the Grim Tutor mischief? Do you sell it? Do you continue to hold? What do you think? I have some mischiefs, so it's a relevant question. Uh, 60 listings near mint. Uh, it's more like 41 listings similar walls i'm assuming i'm gonna find you down the road here so i'm i'm on the top end so to give you where i'm at oh you're trying to get out earlier I, on this i am i've sold like i've sold prospect. a solid 20 or 30 copies i want to say just because um a mixture of i think you know i mean this is maybe it, it sees play because the hype that it used to have but it's just not that great of a tutor um combined with the fact that on tcg direct if you go over twenty dollars the fees go up and so you have to either really decide to be under 20 or usually 30 plus to make the kind of jump worthwhile and i didn't really count on it getting to 30 although it absolutely could um, so that's why i've been exiting i'm not a huge fan of grim tutor at all in edh and it always surprises me when i see that it's in 60,000 reported decks as opposed to 30,000 for scheming symmetry where in my experience symmetry is five times the card that grim tutor is doesn't cost you life costs three times less mana you politically negotiate your way into getting two cards for one mana because you're going to go get the card you want and the person and you negotiate with the table you say i'll let somebody go get a card but here's what i want you to do with it and you basically get them to go get a kill spell or a sweeper to deal with problems on table there's no overstating how much better that is yeah. from the commander perspective but as especially for people 
vendors, speculators, etc. that don't EDH, they may not recognize that dynamic. So I, yeah, I think Grim Tutor is an overrated card. Um, I don't put it in decks ever, and so I think I'm a seller. Yeah, so that's why I've been exiting. I, uh, I don't know if I encourage others to as well, but I, I definitely am on that track myself. I, I think that I agree with you more that your approach on the swords is likely to be true here. That this will go up over time just because there's no replacement, and they won't show up in buy lists very often. Um, because it's very obvious from in- inventory that the majority of secret layers end up in vendor hands. Yeah, yeah, I agree with for that. sure. Right, and so I, I don't. I, I would guess that the percentage representation of secret layer cards versus their print run is very low at localized buy list. Um, okay, so let's hear about your final selection of the week. All right, James, my next pick uh, for the week is Jenga Taxis Progress Tyrant. The non-foils specifically, going from $10 to $20. If anyone's played against this, it is truly a tyrant. It shuts down games and makes your spells that double. Uh, so uh, for those who aren't as aware, it is... Let me pull up here. So whenever you cast an instant artifact or sorcery, you copy that spell and choose new targets. And only do that once per turn. And conversely, if your opponent casts an artifact, instant, or sorcery, you counter that spell... And again, once per turn. And that's for a 7-drop, 2-blue, 5-colorless, and a 5-5 body legendary creature. And so the legendary part is less relevant. You're really looking at this um, often being played as a include in decks. Uh, and it's included in a lot of decks. It's included in 20,000 EDH rec decks so far in under a year. So its tra- tra- trajectory is actually much higher than uh, a comparable, which I was looking at, which is foreign Clex. Uh, Monstrous Raider, which we saw recently get a lot of hype, kind of crash down a little bit, and then slowly move back up in price. And currently, Vorinclex is around $30. So I saw that, you know, I thought, this card's going to get there. It's just a matter of time. It's doing better than Vorinclex did. Um, it's in, you know, uh, they're both widely open sets. Uh, and so I have this going from 10 to 20, which I think in the long run will probably go above that, but that's probably where I would be looking to exit. Uh, and in a timeline of about 12 to 18 months, probably on the longer end, uh, because if you look at the supply, it's pretty deep. Uh, I think there's over a couple hundred vendors, uh, but the walls weren't there, which so it doesn't scare me too much. There's, you know, fours and eights here and there, but no hundred copy vendor that's just waiting to crush the price. Uh, and the looking back at the price history and prior sales on TCG Player, it, it really looked like it kind of bottomed out a little bit in August, hit around 8 or $9 for some of the copies that were selling. Uh, so getting in at 10 I think, is one of these armchair type of investments where you buy it. Who knows if it'll be you know 12 months or 24 months, but eventually this has a really strong demand profile. It's hard to reprint. It's a mythic. Uh, so it should eventually get there, in my opinion. What do you think, James? Yeah, I, I put this in almost all my blue EDH decks. It is a total powerhouse. And of course, I called this back on episode 314. The foil Phyrexian versions were at about $100 at the time in hollowing out. And I called them in 6 to 12 months to go 100 to 160. Since that point, it's clear I, I led people astray too early because there are copies available on TCG Player at a scandalous 48 to $55 or so. However, there are only 40 listings left. And these sell at a relatively brisk pace. They've leveled off in price since about mid-August. 
And I'm a buyer at this point on these foil etched as well. I think the regular is also a solid target. If the regular can get from 10 to 30, it's better than the foil etched getting from 55 to say 120. Um, especially, well, depending on depending on whether your outs are buy list or retail. Um, because buy list, you know, you might go, if it went 10 to 30, your buy list might still be 18 or something. But um, I'm probably going to get some of each. I'll get some regulars. I'll get some foil etched. The card is really, really, really good in Commander. Um, there's a whole bunch of decks that find ways to get this into play not as a 7-drop. So when people go, yeah, but there's such a glut on expensive creatures. Oh, okay, sure. But this is one of the better ones alongside things like Archon of Cruelty for you to bring back from the yard on turn 2 or 3 as a reanimation target. You could discard card this to the yard, then reanimate it the turn after. And that typically what it's going to get killed for sure but your opponents are going to have to waste a ton of resources to take care of that because they have to negotiate coordinate and they also have to uh, signal to you their available resources through that discussion so if somebody says i've got a wrath but i need you to cast something first and the other person goes okay i'll burn this this point removal and then you and then you wrath on your turn and we'll get rid of it uh or sorry on the same turn uh, the person might say, I'm going to Wrath, then you point removal it. Um, but the that doesn't even work because each opponent gets their first spell countered. So it ends up being that one person has to burn two, two spells, and then they negotiate what the table will do for them as a result. And it's a mess of a card. Like it does, it, it does so much work and ends up being worth three or four or five cards worth of value. And then in ninja decks like uh, Yuriko or Satoru, you are going to use Satoru's uh, Ninjutsu 4 uh, ability to get something like this into play very early as well. So Junitaxis is a very, very good EDH card. I agree that it's probably going to dodge a reprint for a long, long time. It's only nine months old. It's still technically in print. It's in standard for uh, another year. So I like these at $10 for regulars. I like where the etched are at. Give it two or three years. I think this is going to be very successful. Yeah, and I, I know we've talked a little bit about Neo a lot. You and um, Travis talked a lot about Neo and Sealed and just kind of the high volume of great cards there are in those. I mean, look at the list. Besaju, Fable to the Mirror Breaker, which we talk about every week. Wandering Emperor, Ottawara, um, you know, some of the dragons. It is The list goes on and on. And so it's no surprise that these got crushed. If this was in a set that was kind of normal where there was three or four top cards and that was it this wouldn't be ten dollars it's ten dollars because a lot of product got opened because this was an extremely good set and in two years that won't be as big of an impact because you can't just open up sealed uh and you know kind of replenish you're just going to have what you have and so the the price will naturally rise over time when it doesn't have to compete with the ev of all these other great cards within the sealed product because it is still in print I've seen a bunch of Neon Dynasty cards across from me in EDH this week. Goro Goro, Thousand Face Shadow, Nashi Moon Sage Scion, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Weaver of Harmony, Containment Construct, Jukai Naturalist, uh, Spirited Companion was in the Zer deck we played against this weekend, Atsushi the Blazing Sky, Lion Sash, Reality Chip. It's, It's a very deep set. Very deep for a standard set, especially given that all five rare lands see play, so that you're not 
that sad to open a fancy version of any of them into the collector boosters. Yeah. There's also Farewell, which is the de facto six mana sweeper now for EDH. I just sold a abandoned mire for twenty dollars extended foil abandoned mire for twenty dollars that i bought on uh buy list on tcg player for a couple bucks i can't it was so cheap it was criminal and very nice i I wish i would have gotten 20 of them at that price but you know take what i can get hey you get get out while the getting's good all right so i think those are all fairly solid selections if i've got a flag one as being the best i think i'm gonna go with blasphemous act secret layers i'd go with eldritch evolution only because it's quick you can get it you think it's imminent you think it's imminent that make a little bit of cash yeah fair enough there are plenty of pro traders on the same wavelength as that so i can well understand um all right so let's go over to the newest spoilers for infinity see if anything else showed up that matters i'm going to largely skip these acorn cards because they're just very unlikely to be financially relevant here Gotta be honest, I haven't seen a lot this week that really matters. Nope, I have not. Although I did notice, I, I, I didn't think about it at the time, we talked last week about the four mana creature that comes in with Flash, gives your uh, commander protection from everything. I didn't realize or think about the fact that that gives them the ability to get through anything, no blockers, because it has protection from everything, just like True Name Nemesis. So if you're trying to connect with a Reaver Cleaver, or a... Uh, well, can you actually, can you equip yourself protective? No, you can't. You can't equip yourself. But if your commander wants to attack and get through, that is a card that does that, which is an added bonus I did not think about when we talked about it last week. There's a pretty decent Eternal Witness variant that was that was revealed. Pair O'Dice Lost, three double green instant. Roll two six-sided die. Return any number of cards with total mana value two or less from your graveyard to your hand where X is the total of those results. So it could be a two. It could be a 12. On average, it's a six or a seven. That's going to probably get you two permanents that you care about from your hand back. Um, But you're always going to be able to... It doesn't say non-land, so you can always add a land. Wait, any number of cards with total mana value X or less from your graveyard... Dude, that lets you get as many lands as you want. Graveyard to hand. Am I missing something? Here, what's the card or, name? I'm going to take a break. Pair O Dice Lost. But it's spelled Pair O Dice as in Rolling Dice Lost. Got it. I got sorted. Three, three double green. Roll two six-sided die. Return any number of cards with total mana value X or less from your graveyard to your hand, where X is the total of those results. Then Exile Paradise Lost. Yeah. They, when you Whenever you see a card get exiled on cast, it means it's potentially busted yeah. the way i read this is you're going to get a uh, a three drop and a four drop back to your hand and all of the lands that were currently in your graveyard and this does not have the acorn on it so in the lands matters decks like lord wind grace and whatever this seems pretty strong pick up all your lands throw them to a seismic assault or something yeah you gotta love doing that though that'll infuriate your opponent at a minimum <laughs> yeah um, yeah, I, I see that. Um, the other card I looked at was Clown Car. Have you seen this one? It's a vehicle crew two. When Clown Car enters the battlefield, roll X dice, uh, X six sided dice for each odd result. Create a one one clown robot artifact uh, creature token for each even result. Put a one one counter on Clown Car crew two. Um, 
that it's an and it's an x uh x amount of cost and so if you pour you know six seven eight in this in the late game you're getting roll eight dice getting you know probably four one ones plus uh putting four counters on this so it's a five five it's a lot of value for kind of a fun card i could see that seeing some play if you're interested in making some one ones and you know you're not trying to be too competitive with the attraction cards, I'm going to have to play with them a little bit to get a sense of how much they matter. And I think a large part of their appeal will depend on how much dice matter stuff we get on the go forward. There actually has been quite a lot of that offered up in the last couple of years between the D&D product and this. So it's possible that people are underestimating some of these. Like I'm looking at DK, Finder of the Lost, one blue black, one four zombie employee. So it's already got zombie synergies. When she enters the battlefield, you open an attraction, which means you're going to get to roll dice once per turn uh, to visit the attraction. And whenever you, that's going to come out of your attraction deck, and some of them are very minor, some of them are more interesting. If you roll a two, each opponent loses a life and you gain a life. If you roll a four, you may tap or untap target artifact or creature, and whenever you roll a six, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So keep in mind that you're getting to roll the die and you're getting a benefit from the attraction, usually about 50% of the time, but not always. It varies. Mm-hmm. So say say that the attraction is on 1, 3s, and 5s, and D is on 2, 4s, and 6s, or say that the attraction's on 2, 4, 6, and D is on 2, 4, 6, you're getting double effects. Yeah. So you're potentially gaining a bunch of cards worth of value. The problem is with the dice rules, you don't know exactly what's happening. However, as I said, there are a bunch of interacts with rolls cards that can let you take the best of all rules or let you roll an additional time, etc. Yeah, I mean, the thing I don't get about Wizards' approach to any of these is why is this legal and some of them aren't? And, you know, I mean, if this isn't meant to be competitive then what does it matter? All, all of this is confusion for confusion's sake, it seems to me. Like, why is this card legal, right. officially legal in Commander and Legacy? Make a blank splash. Two and a blue enchantment. Flash. Whenever, when this enchantment enters the battlefield, you may put a name sticker on it. Because, you know, Legacy players carry those around with them all the time. Whenever you put a sticker on this enchantment, tap up to X target creatures, where X is the number of U's in name stickers on this enchantment. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I, I would get. I, it I can't. I can't. I can't agree any harder than I am. That <laughs> it makes zero sense to me that that card doesn't have an acorn on it. Right. It does not have interesting play patterns and legacy. It is not the kind of card you should put into a commander deck, expecting great things to happen. Obviously, one of the name stickers has. Like the whole thing about the name stickers is they work better in draft. Because the way it works is when you open your packs in an, in an Infinity Draft, you get the sticker sheet, but the sticker sheet is limited. You can only use the stickers from that sheet. If you own 20 other sticker sheets, you can't carry them with you to a draft and keep using them. Sure. But in Commander, you could stack up your sticker sheets. So this this blue card reads, I don't know which, which one it is, but one of the names on the sticker sheet probably has three U's or four U's, and that's what this is going to do. Because you're just going to keep pulling that sticker out and putting it on the card. Yeah, unbelievable. And I don't. And there's a don't there's a red it. one. Blank balls of fire, three red enchantment. Whenever this when this enchantment enters the battlefield, you put a name sticker on it. Whenever whenever you put a sticker on this enchantment, it deals damage equal to the number of O's in name stickers on this enchantment to any target. Same principles apply. 
Um, they showed us that cut in half. Is that what it's called? The the black one that kills a creature and you get two copies of it way early on. Like we saw it last late last winter or something. And that seemed to signal to everybody that you're going to get five or ten cards at that power level. More or less specifically aimed at EDH. So far, I am not seeing five to ten cards at that power level. I'm seeing at best two or three. Saw in half. Close. Saw in half. That's the one. Yeah, and even that card, I mean, it's it's good. In EDH, it'll be really good, I think. In competitive, it's... I mean, we'll see, but I, I, I don't... I, I don't think it'll do very well. It's a three mana, you know, maybe, but probably not. And so, yeah, it was so what we made a set with all these restrictions and all these differences that you have to keep track of and non gray borders so that we can have essentially one card, maybe two, maybe three that see any modicum of play. And then the only place they're going to see play is online and they don't want to code for these things anyway, if they're not seeing dominant type of play. And so, who knows how even long it'll take to get into the system and you're spending time doing that. You could be spending building two factor authentication, which they don't even have on their archaic program all around. I just, it's a total miss. I don't get it. Check this one out. Goblin airbrusher one in a red two one goblin employee. When you place a sticker, create a treasure token. If it's an art sticker, instead create two treasure tokens. Well, creating the treasure tokens is pretty busted, but am I going to have a high enough density of stickers matters cards in my deck that I would ever want to put this in my deck without warping the entire deck to be ultra casual and built around Infinity? I I think Wizards is just wildly overestimating people's willingness to A, challenge rule zero and show up with wacky decks without warning their friends, and B to deliberately say, okay, next Friday, we're not playing our regular decks. We're all going to build Unfinity decks. It's just not fun enough. It's not. It's a different kind of fun. They're, you know, Wacky fun appeals to other people, some people more than others. But even I think for the people that enjoy Wacky, this isn't Wacky enough. It's very finicky, not very funny. And there's a that's a big distinction. Because if, if the gameplay with all this stuff was super hilarious... I would I would say that the you know the pro traders would probably crack you know an infinity CB or two and put together some random decks and and have some guffaws, but I find regular EDH funny. Sure, like fun and funny things happen in EDH all the time if you're playing with good people that have interesting decks. So, what is it more funny when I get to put a sticker on something? Not really. And it's not like we've had an experience in the past that lends itself to to this belief, right? We've had several of these sets. And no one's takeaway was, you know what I need to have this be more legitimate and do more of it and put it in my decks. No one said that. This was a draft set where the value was in the weird lands and a few other things. And that was it. It is what it was. And switching from Silver Border to Acorns misses the mark. Because Silver Border signaled to players this was not a legal card. And Wizard's argument was, yes, but that probably... Uh, impeded people from rule zeroing the cards. My my friends, they're, they're going to do the same thing with the acorn. Yeah. Once people learn the visual heuristic that signals a context, they will latch onto it and they will treat it the same way. If people weren't around for Silver Border, say you're 23 or something in Play Magic, you're just going to key in on the acorns and go, "Oh wait, is that an acorn card? Wait, we didn't we didn't say we're playing acorn cards tonight." 
Or you're going to like, someone's going to field one and you're going to be like, ah, whatever, like, who cares? Go ahead. And they're going to do their funny little thing with some stickers. And it's just not going to enhance the game enough for anybody to really care. Yeah. And they have to be fun enough to make you want to keep playing them too. Right. Like you're going to have to put it in the deck. Think it's hilarious. Buy more of them. And enough people are going to have to agree with you to do the same. It, it's not going to happen. There's like some stuff that that we'll see some play, like Last Voyage of the Blank, three and a black enchantment. When the enchantment enters the battlefield, you may put a name sticker on it. Then it becomes an aura with enchant creature. Return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield and attach the aura to it. The creature gets plus two plus zero for each name sticker on this aura with seven or fewer letters. And when this aura leaves the battlefield, sacrifice enchanted creature. So that's like an expensive animate dead. Some people will find use for it. There's things like monitor, monitor. Two double blue, two five human employee. When it enters the battlefield, you open an attraction. Once each turn, you can pay one to re-roll one or more dice you've rolled. So again, if we get a very popular dice commander down the road, a lot of these dice cards might get activated briefly. But that's not, I don't want a spec box full of dice cards just crossing my fingers that that's going to happen at some point. Yep. The The only card I actually liked about this set which I think some others didn't, was photo op. I thought that was a clever design. One black, before the game begins, you may post a photo of yourself posing like the art of a magic card with hashtag guess that magic card and no other text. You may reveal a reply post today with the guess of the card that you own outside the game and then basically grab it and put it into your hand. So it's a tutor if you do it funnily, put it online and somebody's actually responding with the correct answer. I like that card. I think that's fun. It's clever. It's relatively easy to understand. Is it going to make me buy anything? Absolutely not. And honestly, I mean, I I posted the Discord. I said, I'm tuning out. I'll come back in a month when this is over. And I think a lot of people are in that boat. And so most people, these things are going in one ear and out the other. So they don't even know they're happening, let alone being willing to play them. The thing is that I think when we heard stickers in the spring, it was around the Mischief Relief release. And so people assumed it was going to be a full card sticker where you might have like ultra powerful EDH cards that would be revealed by peeling the sticker, but maybe you could only use them one time. Some kind of riff on the whole like chaos confetti kind of scenario, but they it's not where they went with it at all. It was a completely different thing. And the like having the sticker sheet and putting the names on and counting vowels is not what I think people were hoping for. Now, what does this mean for the set? Because there are pro traders and lots of people who have pre-ordered this product. What does it mean for the set's value? I would imagine the sealed product's going to get cheap. Uh, I don't think they printed a ton of it because they they know what they're dealing, what kind of animal they're dealing with here. But it also means that the good cards like Saw in Half or the Galaxy Foil Shocks are going to carry most of the EV and it's not going to be nearly as diluted as it is in a set like Neon Dynasty. Yeah. the I mean, the EV is going to be all focused on the few cards on Shocks and if there's anything else that breaks out. And, you know, typically if, if you know what's good and you know where the value is going to go, you never get that drop that gives you a good entry point because the market already has good clues and it's baking everything in so which is unfortunate i mean you always want to be able to get around the market buying cheap have it go up here we're not going to get that and so i think a lot of people picking these up will be 
Um, people that actually want to play with them, want them for their decks. Speculators will, you know, keep it from dropping quite a bit. But I'll be curious to see how much money there is to be made, um, especially if these get really cheap and then you get mass crack openings, which then, you know, six months down the line drives down the prices further from when they were released. My best guess at present is that the non-foil Galaxy Shocks that come in the regular boxes is going to be the play. Because they they are not available in the CBs. Everything in the CBs is foil. So And their, their drop rate is relatively low in regular boxes. So it's going to be a situation like in Modern Horizons 2 where the old border fetches, non-foil, were only available in set and draft booster boxes at relatively low drop rates. And so they and so they they actually did better in the short to midterm than the OBFs did because there was just less of them around. Yeah, and you know, we saw how fetches can bounce back in the secret layer that had the bundles of fetches, three fetches for whatever it was, $30. And I think everyone looked at it, not everyone. Many people looked at it and said well, whatever. Maybe you're getting a little bit of value, but it's just going to hurt the you know hurt the price of shocks overall. So it's kind of a net wash. Leave it alone. But I think a lot of people in the Discord went in and bought these, knowing they you know it's a shockland. They're they're the staple. They're now important in Pioneer. They're critical in EDH, and everyone that went in on those did pretty well. They bounce back, especially if you have access to TCG Direct and can get a premium. You don't have to ship them yourself, and you can do it in volume. Make 20-30% pretty easily and get out and move on to the next thing. I think with those non-foils in particular, that might be the case here, right? Where they get underestimated, they come out, they're really short supply, they dip on release, and then after that they just keep going up until they really start matching the market for all the other additions. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. The Here's a card that looks better than it's probably people have realized. Uh, it's a blue enchantment for one double blue exchange of words. And I don't see an acorn on it. So I think it's commander legal by nature. It's a rare when exchange of words enters the battlefield, you choose two creatures for as long as exchange of words remains on the battlefield, exchange the text boxes on those creatures. So this is pretty cute. You can take a negative, negative wording on one of your creatures or irrelevant wording on a token where it doesn't have any text box and swap it for somebody's uh, Atraxa, or their Gingitaxius, or their Urabrask, or their whatever, like their their Joda, for instance. You can, and this is removal that buffs one of your creatures. That's pretty good in blue for three mana. Yeah, I can see it seeing some play. It's a rare, which limits its upside of marginal. Yeah. Yep. I mean, are there? I guess there are mythics in here. But I don't know how many mythic. Here, here's a mythic, for instance, that is commander legal by nature and apparently legacy. Mirror the Magnificent, two blue red human performer. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand, open an attraction. That might actually be under underestimated, because in the spells matters decks that can that have storm esque elements where they're going to cast a bunch of stuff in a turn. And then maybe Underworld Breach later, or they're using Baral to get a discount on it, or uh, Goblin Electromancer, etc. You cast a lot of instants and sorceries. So opening one attraction, not that exciting. If you're opening five or six attractions, and then rolling a die at the end of your turn, and getting at the start of your turn, and getting four, five, three or four different results, that gets more interesting. 
And then for X and tap, exile target instant or sorcery with mana value X from your graveyard and choose an attraction you control that doesn't have a midway counter on it. Put a midway counter on it. Whenever you visit that attraction, copy the exiled card. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. This card's probably underestimated. I suspect in Spells Matters decks, this is actually a powerhouse. Hmm. I mean, anything with that much text has to be at least okay. <laughs> you, you would hope, you would, you hope, would hope, but not necessarily. Sometimes <laughs> you get that much text, and it's like, and then you get a, your your sock is pink. <laughs> but but this this is this is actually just a good normal magic card. Like the attractions thing is basically like entering the dungeon. Right, you're getting right. incremental advantage, like scry one or gain two life or whatever. Sometimes you draw a card. But that's every time you cast an instant or a sorcery that you get to open an additional attraction. It's untouchable. There's going to be no cards that wreck your attractions deck. Likely to see play. And there are no no way to destroy attractions. They're not in play like as a permanent. I or, Oh, wait. No, that's not true. There are, they're artifacts, aren't they? Yeah. I, I believe attractions are artifacts. So, that's, so I'm wrong. They're, they're, they can sweep the artifacts on the board, which is not that uncommon in the treasures era um and you could catch some incidental hate there somebody could cast a farewell and sweep your attractions so it's not that invincible but i think the setup is probably worth it it's four mana for two four blocks decently in the kind of deck that that likely wants that and then throwing instants and sorceries from your graveyard onto attractions and then when you visit the attraction copying the card i mean you could be copying a source of plowshare or lightning bolt or a faithless looting or whatever so I think Mira is probably the best mythic I've seen here. I would love to have a card like that be good just to irk the spikes out there who have to play sure. with it. It would be hilarious. Well, if something like Mira or Comet Stellar Pup ends up in Legacy, that's just going to be <laughs> so much bonus points that somebody will try it. I will say, you know, incremental value, if you didn't notice, Popper got a ban from one of the dungeon new dungeon cards that came out, and that was something I would have never guessed uh, based on how terrible the original dungeons were. So I think multiple of the cards banned were, were dungeon-related. Yeah, there's four four cards that all led you into the new dungeon, so they all kind of accomplished the same thing. And, it's, it, you know, Popper obviously has very uh, low power level, relatively speaking, so any incremental advantage is huge there. It was really overwhelming games, but... I thought it showed the power of incremental advantage slowly over time, even if it doesn't look like it on its face. Looking at unstable booster boxes, because you know that was the first thing I thought it was, okay, if these booster boxes get cheap, yeah, no one likes the set, but maybe it's fun to draft. Uh, so I looked back at unstable booster boxes, and it looks like they're hanging out around $180, $190, uh, and that's after... About five years, because that was released in 2017. So uh, that that's too long of a time horizon for me for getting, you know, after fees and shipping on a, on a sealed product, you know, optimistically, probably like 30, 40% gains. You'd, you'd be better off putting places, putting money in other places. But I, I thought it was worth a look. Yeah, that makes sense. Bottom line, 40K premium group buys looking amazing. Infinity looking pretty medium, uh, even mediocre. So, uh, that looks like it's our show for this week. Where can folks find you online, Derek? Yeah, you can find me online on Twitter at OkoAssassin or my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. How about you, James? 
You can find me on Twitter at MGGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com, where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best Magic the Gathering singles, sale product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and to support this podcast. That brings us to the end of this episode. As always, James, appreciate the discussion tonight. Thank you, thank you, Derek, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.